Hello and welcome to Coach Rich Rants, real takes, raw feedback, unedited and unscripted views of what's happening in youth sports, in soccer, both in the U.S. and in my local community. I will be bringing to you different takes from the perspective of either a parent of an athlete, of a player, of a coach, or as a club director and administrator. Having worn every one of those hats, I'll try to bring to you these takes from each of those perspectives. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to the latest edition of Coach Rich Rants. This is a bit of a follow-on to the It Takes a Village to Raise a Soccer Player um, update that I just had. And it's really in response to some feedback that I've gotten and also some feedback that I've seen online. Like, so for instance, I follow some pretty well-known and reputable um, leaders in soccer. Um, one of them is Tom Beyer. Uh, when I started doing corporate coaching back in uh, 2009, he was the one that was leading Corver in Japan, where they converted a bunch of tennis courts to soccer fields, and they had kids doing foot skills. And they were featured in the Make Your Moves DVD series that were narrated by Charlie Cook, co-founder Charlie Cook and Alfred Galuston. And he has authored a book called um, Soccer Starts at Home, and it's all around how you can give the introduction to the game of soccer to three or four-year-old by just introducing them to the ball and letting them discover the ball with free play. And then if you do that, by the time they start playing organized soccer, they're comfortable with the ball. And then you've got guys like Todd Bean from Tovo Academy, who happens to be Johan Cruyff's son-in-law, who had an unbelievable experience to be brought up sort of along, uh, you know, kind of under the wing, if you will, of, of Johan Cruyff. So the perspective of the players that he sees may be quite different than maybe what you would see in grassroots. Nonetheless, his philosophy is really around using the game of soccer to treat, teach soccer, passing and receiving, a lot of decision making, you know, all that stuff, right? So. Both of, I think, are very admirable. Both, I think, I, you know, both I follow because they both have a lot of merit in what they say. And there's typically debate on both sides of both of their um, updates that they when they post or both of their podcast episodes if they've been interviewed. Uh, there, there's always something on both sides. So when somebody, you know, when, when uh, Tom Byer speaks of individual player development and one player, one ball, he gets all the protagonists getting online saying, oh gosh, this is terrible, what are you talking about? You need to teach the game, right? Rarely is there ever a, a, a sort of a counterpoint or any evidence to back up the claims that you see, but that's what you get with social media. On the other side, when um, Todd Bean speaks, a lot of people say, oh yeah, but what about teaching the individual skills? Where are they gonna learn that? What's wrong with using a cone for borders, all this stuff, right? So again, and not really a counter argument or a protagonist view, but just kind of commentary, right? So the reason that I'm bringing this up right now is because, again, nothing is absolute. Everything that is discussed typically that people have a specialty in is being taught or shared from the perspective of what their specialty is or what their core belief is and how that helps in player development. I don't recall any of them saying that is the only way and the only thing you can do, but they are saying this is a proven way and these are proven things that help with player development. So some of the feedback that I've gotten from earlier episodes about one player, one ball and maximizing the touches 
getting 10,000 hours to mastery is that people and again people are saying you can't teach the game that way well I've taught over 5,000 players in the last 10 years I've watched a group of players a specific group of players over a period of 10 years that I taught a certain way and they all became very good and very competent soccer players so to me I think it works because I have evidence and I have lots of numbers to support it but it also wasn't the only thing I did it was only part of what I did so again every time you mention something people are gonna look at it find something to criticize and criticize and I don't care I'll take the debate all day long because whoever just reached out most recently I probably have forgotten already in this car ride and since this started about player development then that person knows total and they will ever learn only because I could tell by the tone of the message that they sent me that that's the case so I just probably forgot more stuff in the last 15 seconds since I started talking about it but I'm not here talking about how great I am but I am talking about how none of this stuff is absolute so let's get let's just go back and look at some other sports let's look at golf let's look at tennis let's look at track and field let's look at marathon running you become a marathon runner by running but you don't do it by running the marathon the first time there are speed workouts hill repeats tempo runs long slow distance runs timed runs pace runs all kinds of different types of runs to prepare you for running the marathon you just don't go out there and run 26.2 miles if you're a track runner you don't just race the event that you're racing in but you do all kinds of different tempo runs speed workouts repeats leaping bounding jumping and even strength training to become ready for your given sport tennis players don't just go out and play matches tennis players take lessons and they get spend tons of time hitting forehands hitting backhands practicing serves practicing overheads practicing volleying practicing every part of the game of tennis before they go out and play matches golf people don't just go play well some people just go play golf but people that are good at golf go to the driving range they go to the putting green they practice parts of the golf game they practice parts of their swing they work on muscle imbalance they work on balance activities there are so many parts of a golf swing and people work on different parts of the golf swing they don't just go out and try to play in the masters so this really is about how again the approaches that are often talked about are not absolute approaches but they are parts of what goes into overall player development. So let's talk for a little bit about some of the components of player development. According to Tom Byers in his book, Soccer Starts at Home, players can start to be introduced to a ball as pretty much as soon as they can walk. And the idea is to just allow them to have some free play and allow them to uh, explore and discover the ball with their feet. And some parent interaction can even help players create little obstacles to move around and they could actually start getting a comfort with the ball um, with their feet. And, and so Tom, again, was a guy who ran Corver. And so, you know, I've been doing Corver coaching for about the past 10 years running camps. And in the Corver coaching model, there's a pyramid of player development. The bottom of the pyramid of the player development is ball mastery. So that is using all of the surfaces of both feet and getting comfortable balance and coordination, manipulating the ball right and it then goes into one-on-one -on -one. so one-on-one -on -one moves one-on-one -on -one defending you add to that then passing and receiving 
then small-sided games, speed, and finishing. So all of the elements in the game of soccer are part of the pyramid of player development. If you look at kind of how I have operated within my club system for the last several years, the U8 to U10 age group was that two-year period was primarily a lot of emphasis on one player, one ball. It was really getting comfortable with the ball, leveraging all of the surfaces of both feet, even though they are playing games. It really is around trying to promote that creativity, allowing players to be comfortable and confident on the ball so that as they move up through the progression in the curriculum, they've got the foundational skills needed to move to the next level. I typically make a transition from that U8 to U10 sort of, um, you know, those games where they're really kind of friendlies. When you move into U11 and U12, where you move from like a seven aside to 9v9, and now there are more players on the field. But the emphasis for me has always been at U11, first touch, passing and receiving. So while I worked on a lot of possession type activities, I wasn't concerned as much about the tactical components of possession as much as body shape, first touch, quality passing, good first touch away from the player into space, good first touch uh, with their back foot open to the inside, open to the field so that they can see um, the whole field, checking their shoulder. And it's really around learning those habits and learning how to properly strike a ball in a pass, learning how to properly receive the ball, learning how their body shape should be before the ball comes, starting to identify what their options are before they receive the ball. So before they even get it, they have a plan. And I really do that at U11 and U12. Then when I get to U13 and U14, which is when you first go to that 11 v 11, and where I am and where I coach, that is a uh, a full year program for those kids that are that are U13 and U14. And in that environment, I build that cycle for two years. And that's really where the tactics come into play. That's where even though there's a series of small-sided games of 3v2 and 2v1 and 3v4 and things like that in the game of soccer, because you don't, let's face it, you don't have all 20 players on the ball, or you shouldn't in 11v11. I hope you don't. So it's really around moving the ball, understanding the patterns of play, really starting to think about how to possess the ball out of the back and playing out wide out of the back. And you start to build the technical or the tactical element rather into the game. And so for me, at least, I've really focused on tactical play, um, system speed of play, still speed of play. Technical requirements are still important, but that's really where they start to understand the patterns of play, the ball movement start to do a little bit of work on set pieces and start thinking more about the competition or a lot more about the competition. And depending on how many teams I have per age group, that would determine sort of the curriculum that that, that team follows. And then once you get beyond that for U14 and you get into U15 and up, that's really about those kids that are playing in high school. That's You've got those kids for about half a year or not quite a year. You know, they, they come in in November after their school season is over. And that's really about putting together all of the pieces and to try to make it to as high of level as possible, whether that's a local league, a regional league, or even a national league. And that's a lot of tournament plays and college showcase events. And that's really where everything comes together. And it really is about or does become about winning it, or more about winning. It uh, becomes around showcasing the players' abilities. It, it, it becomes around keeping core players together over a long period of time who've developed up together. And hopefully they all have the technical foundation that they've developed from the youngest ages all the way till they get to that point. And that really is sort of that whole how that whole thing works. And so what I will say is that when I say there's no absolute, and when you say things like 
Tom Beyer and you say like Tovo Academy says, you shouldn't be teaching the foundational skills or the fundamentals. You should start with possession. And the more the kids learn to pass and receive and see the options and breaking the lines and all of those things, yes, those are very important. But I think that you really do need to build on the on the pyramid I've uh, and, and build on the model because I've done it for so many years and I've seen it work. I have seen it work. I've seen thousands of players go through the technical training that I've provided to build the foundational skills that they're going to need at later ages. So if you don't teach that in your soccer training or in your club, where are they going to learn it? They're going to have to go outside to get it. And I really think that if you do a good job with the right kind of curriculum, all of those pieces and parts are going to be part of it. And then forget about, you know, and I didn't even mention about speed and agility. I didn't mention about power and plyometric training and and, and strength and, and or even conditioning, because I believe if you do soccer training correctly, that is your conditioning. Strength, power, body weight exercises, plyometrics, explosive power, speed of play, quickness of feet with speed and agility exercises. Those are all things that complement a soccer player or even an athlete's player development. And all of those things, I think, need to be incorporated. So to say that something is absolute, and again, going back to the very beginning example, when you see somebody talking about what the new model is or what the new thing is that's going to help the U.S., I think that we have to remember that it's going to take 10 or 15 years to really see the outcome of us changing the approach that we take in the United States in terms of how we do player development. So I think we should always be looking to add things or complement what we've been doing. But at the end of the day, if a player can't dribble the ball, if the player isn't comfortable on the ball, if the player can't pass the ball, receive the ball, shoot the ball, you know, defend one-on-one or, or even be comfortable to get out of trouble one-on-one, then, then it's for naught. So I really believe that none of these methods, whether it's one player, one ball, whether it's pure possession, whether it's Rondo, no Rondo, all of these things that you're going to hear uh, all over you know, the news, all over social media, all over the internet, when the people are talking about these different player development philosophies, all of these things are going to be important. And so nothing is absolute. And so allow each coach, or I think each coach who might have a specialty or might have a way of doing things, I think those coaches should be open-minded to new things. And I think those coaches should be open to share and learn from others. And I think where it makes sense, they should bring in the resources that have the capabilities or skill sets across some of these different areas that maybe they wouldn't normally do. And I think for a club to be able to offer the entirety of a curriculum that's progressive in nature, that starts at the youngest ages and goes all the way through and provides complementary and supplemental programming to allow players to develop as an entire soccer player and an athlete, I think those are the clubs that are going to do well over time. I think that is going to help soccer in the U.S. And I think as long as we continue to provide as much as we possibly can for these athletes and have the access to these kids to be able to do these things, they're going to develop into soccer players. So nothing is absolute. There's no one way. There's no right way. There's only multiple different ways and lots of different pieces and lots of different parts, just like there are in other sports. So again, thanks for tuning into the podcast. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to like and subscribe, and I will catch you guys next time. Take care.